With our new normal in full swing, leadership teams everywhere have a lot to think about. What are you doing about leading an ethical revolution? Well, get ready because the chief ethics officer of Airbnb, Rob Chestnut, who has recently come out with a book on this very topic, is here to tell us how they do it at Airbnb and what it has to do with supply chain. If you missed that episode, go and listen to episode 121 wherever you listen to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I want to tell you about Tive. They've come up with the easiest way for shippers and 3PLs to have fast, clear visibility data. Seriously, you have to check this out. Tive's intuitive interface and low-cost trackers provide comprehensive supply chain awareness, reduce freight claims, and improve customer experiences. These are single-use trackers. Let me say that again. Single-use trackers. Amazing. Check them out at tive.co. That's T I V E.co and get 10% discount on your first order when you mention that you heard about this on Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Forge Supply Chain Conference last week was amazing. We heard about so many great supply chain topics that practitioners can take. We had takeaways, really great takeaways. We heard from the head of global logistics for uh, Google. We heard from edible arrangements on last mile gaps. We heard from Peter Hall, chief economist at EDC, about what's going to happen from a business perspective in the next 18 months and what does that look like. That one actually was recorded live and you can find that over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. You can also find the afternoon keynote. That's with me and the global head of logistics and supply chain for Google over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page or the Facebook page or the Twitter page as well. So go and check that out. Those were amazing. We did a startup showcase where we showcased nine different innovative startups in supply chain and people loved it. What an amazing day. Thank you so much to everybody who joined us for that day. Um, We've got such amazing feedback from it. So at the end of April, I went live on social media with Robert Garrison and Rebecca Mazzuti of Mercado, along with Sydney Badger of Public Habit to talk about how we can do better in supply chain with change all around us. If you missed it, be sure to check it out on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page or on MercadoLabs.com. It was so popular and we got so much great feedback that we wanted to continue the discussion on the podcast and bring another amazing supply chain leader from Mercado on with Rob to give us an even different perspective. But before we give away too much, let's get to the question of the week. So the question of the week is, what is the oldest piece of technology you use and why? I piped in and said, does pen and paper count? I know, I know, I'm working on it. Andrew Kennedy, my old faithful faithful BBC Master 128 microcomputer from 1986, and he even gave us a glimpse into what that looks like. That's amazing. Jammin', this is uh, such a fun topic. I use a number two Ticonderoga pencil daily. Way to go, Jammin'. Alvaro, my old scientific calculator. Ryan Wicklum, I have an antiquated Excel sheet with all past supply chain partners, names of their partner and kids, birthdays, hobbies. That is amazing. Jonathan Kempe, my brain told me to say my brain because that will be funny. And then added for the bit about why, say, because I'm rather attached to it. And then 
It concluded with the use of the hashtag perception underscore inception. Way to go, Jonathan. Larry, I can't think of anything older than five to six years that's still in use, but he is using his Garmin GPS. Clay Phillips, pen and paper. Chris Dietrich, pen and paper and a magnifying glass when he can't find his glasses. We had a lot of great fun on this post. You can find that under the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn. Aaron, my day designer planner, I'm with you on that one. John Baglino, he still uses his iPod. Christopher, I have an Abacus on my desk that I really only use as a prop. Uh, Chris Ruddick, probably my car. Leah agrees with Jonathan and says, my mind. Kevin says, I have this fancy round thing that if attached properly allows one to move much larger stuff around. All right, all right. Brendan, it's a toss-up between the lever, the screw, and the wheel. Ha-ha. Murray, you can't beat vinyl records. Love that. Andrew, I'd give my left arm to get my BlackBerry torch back. Ooh, bringing the BlackBerry back. David, this is such a great question. I still use an old TomTom GPS. Robert, a pencil. Melanie, a Motorola phone. But I won't give away the model or the year. (laughs) So funny and so many great responses. Thank you to everyone who joined us this week. And remember to comment each and every Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will feature you on an upcoming episode. So today we are talking about do good, be good, and you will hear about the challenges, how we can be good in supply chain while also doing good. Such a hot topic. Really love this topic and perspective from Mercado. So let's learn a little bit more about Rob and Lee. Rob, a highly accomplished global supply chain executive with 25 years of experience, Rob Garrison has provided strategic vision and leadership to Fortune 500 companies. Rob has an impressive history of building agile technology-enabled supply chains, and he has established he has an established track record of forging high growth partnerships, positioning organizations for success and launching innovative technology solutions that significantly improve end to end supply chain efficiencies. Recognized as a respected thought leader, Rob is a featured industry speaker and published author offering expertise on supply chain challenges, trends, and best practices. Lee Grover is a highly accomplished business technology executive with more than 20 years of experience developing profitable startups in Silicon Valley. He has an impressive history of identifying opportunities for new market entry and venture capital investments that consistently surpass ambitious business goals. Lee has a record of forging high growth technology positioning organizations for success through partnerships, and developing multi-million dollar business ventures across diverse industries, including life sciences, government, financial services, and now supply chain. Lee founded ClearWave Software in Modesto, California in 2003, a boutique software development firm focused on business information, visualization through customized software solutions. So welcome to the show, Rob and Lee. Sarah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, great to be here. I am so glad we have this opportunity because we're we're continuing the discussion that we had live back in April about doing good, being better in supply chain. And I'm excited because we're going to get some new perspective on this topic. Um, And there is so much good information that we can talk about that that was the reason why we wanted to extend this conversation into a podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into this. But before we do that, I want to introduce everybody to Lee because Lee was not on the live with us previously. So hi, Lee. Welcome to the show. Give us a bit of a high-level overview of what your background is. Morning, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Well, I've had uh, the good fortune of uh, a career in Silicon Valley through its heyday. and like all good careers, is associated with great people, uh, most notably a phenomenal CEO, Tom Sinton, who, for whatever reason, saw promise in a young engineer and took the time to mentor and craft me into uh, an executive of his making. He was just a wonderful man. Uh, I've done five startups, uh, one IPO, four private placements, initially focused really on fintech. Uh, at that time, we were leveraging the distributed uh, computing across arrays of PCs at a time when uh, large uh, finance thought 
it could only be relegated to mainframes. Um, after that, uh, the human genome race was really taken off. I love life science, so I uh, jumped into that. We built, uh, at that time, the world's largest uh, Linux farm to handle the, the large uh, sequencing demand that was in place. And that was a great gig. We, we built um, information for large pharma to use in their drug research. And a wonderful team, wonderful experience, a uh, lot of travel, a lot of time away from home. So each year I'd take the family out in August and say, are we doing another year? And uh, in one particular year, my oldest said, no, we're done. So I said, all right, that was a commitment. So I stepped down and thought that was uh, time to hang up the cleats, but uh, got pulled into a special project, a connection that I had, had a, had a problem, it was a failed project. Uh, in aerospace, and uh, they said, can you help with it? We built a little team of, uh, of uh, engineers that uh, were kind of cherry-picked for the occasion, and we took that on and solved some problems there, and that led to kind of specializing in failed projects. We just uh, got project after project that had, uh, had fallen for various reasons, and that was a lot of fun because it took us into varied uh Parts of, of, the, of the tech sector, always something interesting, always something complex because it had, it had tanked already. So we got into some things for some nuclear threat detection for Homeland. We did some projects for NASA DOE and uh, uh, got heavy into robotics and industrial automation and then uh, spent a period of time going around the world and doing uh, industrial automation for large processing plants. And uh, with that, uh, set up a little boutique with a, with a selected team that was close to home, so it wouldn't be commuting anymore. And uh, through that, met Rob and got launched into what has become Mercado and learned yet a new sector, and that is supply chain, and specifically international supply chain. And that's been uh, just a great run with, again, uh, another great individual to work with, and that brings us to today. Awesome. That's such a great story. And I'm glad that you, you know, provided the context, context in what you went through through that journey and how you made some of the decisions that you did. So everybody knows Robert Garrison. I mean, from Mercado to LinkedIn. Um, if you don't know Rob, make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn. And Rob is the CEO of Mercado. He's also been on the show and we're going to link to that episode as well. Um, when we release this one too. So Rob, give us a 30 second overview of your background for anybody that doesn't know you. Wow. How do I top Lee's intro, Sarah, and your big, uh, you know, uh, run up to my intro. Um, so everybody, I'm Rob Garrison, and I've spent my entire career in international supply chain as a carrier and as an importer and uh, for two large 3PLs. So I've gotten to see this uh, space from kind of every dimension, and that background led me to this point of wanting to build uh, a new solution for the industry. Awesome. I like that. How did you guys meet, by the way? Oh, you want my version or Lee's version? Yeah, so mine would be something like... Um, <laughs> We failed to lock the door one day. And, uh, oh, oh, wait, I should have let him go first. Rob, Rob <laughs> go ahead, Rob. Yeah, so, uh, Sarah, as I was looking, I had this idea on forming a business. Uh, and one of the things that had prevented me in the past was I didn't really think uh, I, I knew anybody who could build the technology behind it. It's kind of complicated technology. And as I was uh, just starting this journey, I was working with a guy on technology and I asked him if he could build it. And he said he didn't have the chops, but he knew a guy. And as it turned out, that guy was Lee. And so next thing I knew, I think one or two weeks later, I was on a plane to uh, San Francisco and took a drive out to Modesto, California. And so that's how Lee and I met. We met through a mutual friend who happens to also live in Modesto, California. Awesome. And it always happens. It's a guy through a guy through a guy. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a guy. And that's, <laughs> the, 
that's where that's where the the best relationships and partnerships kind of come from. So, you know, we've we've talked about Mercado on the show before. Where but we didn't really talk about sort of where the idea came about. So, where did the idea for Mercado come to fruition? Where did it come from? What sort of challenges were you experiencing or maybe hearing about firsthand that made you jump into Mercado? Uh, Sarah, my first epiphany, and this goes back probably 15 years, but my first epiphany about what needed to be done goes back a long time, actually. I had been in transportation uh, my whole first part of my career. And when I went to work for a retailer, that was my first encounter really with a buyer and, and buying products. So I knew about the transportation piece of it, but I didn't know what happened before that. And uh, sort of much to my uh, surprise, I was with that company uh, for about three weeks when a buyer came flying into my office and accused me of ruining their entire business line and they were going to report me to the CEO if I didn't get it fixed. So that's kind of how I became aware of the importance of product and buying. And I sort of followed that thread all the way back to its inception. So that was the seed of the idea. And it sort of germinated in a mind um, where I can summarize it today as saying, I, I really studied that process of how things got bought overseas and what they had to go through regulatorily and paperwork and systems and communication and just knew that there had to be a more efficient and streamlined way for importers to get products from overseas to their customers. So I've made a couple runs at it and uh, was probably early, Sarah, in that the technology wasn't really there. And so I, I sort of had it on the shelf, but always knew that someday if I met the right contact, I'd uh, sort of reinvigorate this because the opportunity is huge. And just one last thing on that. The other thing that I discovered after spending lots and lots of time overseas and in factories and and around the world, actually, um, I saw how complex it was. Uh, There's so many people, there's 30 people that get involved with each purchase order. There's nine different business entities. There's different companies that get engaged. It's 8,000 miles away. Uh, different language, different culture. And so I also knew that that complexity was going to make it impossible for customers to get their products uh, cheaper, faster, better. And that the only way that that could be solved is through technology and workflow. And so all of that kind of led me to this journey to Mercado. And that was really what our mission was, Sarah, when we started the company, is could we build technology and workflow to help customers get their product to market uh, faster, better, cheaper, so they could sell more? Yeah, and it's so important. And I think we're finding that even more important um, right now, you know, and what what we're going through. I think the last episode that we we recorded, we talked about shining light into those dark corners of supply chain. Mm. And right now, the gaps are really being, you know, there really is a lot of light being shown on that. And I think through Mercado and what, what you've built with the platform and what I've seen in the conversations that we've had not only together, but with your customers, um, it's definitely the way of the future. Um, you know, there's there's different aspects of supply chain, and you guys really focus on that first mile, which is a huge, important piece that people are really starting to understand even better these days. And I know as a startup, you know, going and talking to the community, talking about uh, talking to engineers like Lee, talking to investors, you know, people that may or may not be um in supply chain or really understand supply chain, it can be really difficult to, um, you know, convey what that looks like and how that is really going to solve some of the the issues that are happening in the industry. So Lee, I'm going to send this over to you because you're not somebody who lives and breathes supply chain like Rob and I do. So how did you react when Rob kind of came to you with this, this idea for Mercado? Uh, good question. Well, you know, first of all, I should tell you that I hear so many, I have so many people walking with, I've got a great idea, right? Um, but, but there's something different about Rob. First of all, I bought into the person and that is 80% of, of the challenge right there. I believed him. Now when he, when he came in and, and laid out his vision and he explained to me how importing works, I have to be candid and say, I called BS, and I think I, I did it in the room at the time uh, to his face. Uh, I could not imagine that there was a trillion-dollar piece of our economy that actually functioned or dysfunctioned the way he described it. 
So uh, at the first time we met, I said, I'm intrigued. I was very fascinated to find a part of, uh, just as a technologist, to find a major business sector that, that has not been disrupted yet is interesting. Uh, but I, uh, as I peeled the onion, I not only convinced myself that what he was saying was true, he probably undersold it. It was worse than I imagined. Uh, the, the, and th- then I became amazed that we get as much done as we get done, considering the way we bring product into the country and, and how we have relationships overseas and the black hole that it is. Uh, I was just fascinated from the business perspective to find basically the wild, wild west still existing and, and, a, and a new hill to conquer. So it was a very intriguing opportunity as a technologist. It's amazing to hear your thoughts on that coming from the outside looking in. And that's just one portion of supply chain. I mean, this is a trillion dollar industry and there's a lot of moving parts that happen in supply chain. And and it's fascinating to hear what you're saying in just one portion of it. Right, Rob? Yeah, it, uh, for sure. Yeah, well, for the sure. No, the notion that I have $100 million of inventory at any one time, and I don't know where it is, boggles my mind. And uh, so clearly there's great opportunity for control. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's capital intensive. Like think about all of the money that is being left on the table um, because some of these processes or that technology hasn't been brought in. I mean, it has now, but but prior to this, um, I can only imagine by somebody from the outside looking in how mind-boggling that is. So let's, let's get into some of the processes um, because it's interesting to really talk about how you guys have come together, what made the idea and solution to this problem and this challenge um, you know, so innovative and something that you wanted to jump in on, Lee. But what was the processes the two of you used to build the platform? I mean, we talk about tech all the time. We talk about supply chain tech and what people are doing, but we're talking about it so much from a high level. I'm glad that we're going to be able to get into, you know, um, some of the processes. So why don't you tell us about that? Lee, do you mind if I start on that one and, and I'm going to turn it over to you? Please do. Yeah, so, so do. Sarah, as you just mentioned, um, it was, it's a pretty complex problem and it's pretty difficult to describe. And especially when you're speaking to someone who's not from our industry and you're trying to describe all the different acronyms we use and how they apply and, and different names for different things. Like, we, like for example, we call uh, somebody who makes product a manufacturer, a supplier, a vendor, and a BCO. And they all mean the same thing. So you can imagine that the first step in the process, uh, Sarah, was me trying to explain to them how things worked. And each time I would say something, Lee and his guys would pepper me with about a million questions <laughs> until, until we finally got some uh, commonality around what we were talking about. But uh, Lee, if you could sort of describe uh, one of the epiphanies I had, Sarah, I guess, when I was talking to Lee was he used this word taxonomy. And he said, you know, I'm just really confused with the taxonomy here. And so, Lee, maybe you can touch on that real quick, and then I'll go to the next step of the process. Well, yeah, and that and that that challenge exists today. The terminology means different things to different companies. Each company has their own terminologies. Uh, when you get overseas, they they have another terminology. So, how do we communicate together in a single language? Uh, establishing that taxonomy was very difficult, and we began to basically build our our uh, English to supply chain dictionary and start uh, <laughs> crafting words. And then try to stay true to those words. And it, it, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, and especially when you think about trying to build that into code, Sarah, that's why I wanted to sort of describe that first step is we really had to get something normalized so that Lee could turn it into code. So, you know, after we got through the general explanations, uh, we, we basically hopped up onto a whiteboard because pictures help. And uh, it was always a race between Lee and I who would grab the marker the fastest. Uh, Lee usually won that race, but we started to sketch it out um, on a whiteboard so we could walk through you know, the purchase order, then the supplier, then the production line, the product, et cetera. And then once we had our storyboard, um, Lee and the team put it into what they termed a wireframe. And wireframe was a fancy term for uh, making it look like it will look on the screen, but there's no code behind it. But that way you can visualize 
um, what it's going to look like when it's done. And so for me, that was that was almost like magic, uh, hearing my blah, blah, blah turn into uh, something tangible on a screen. And so we, we got through that process. And, and once we were pretty comfortable that we had the look and feel of it right, Sarah, we actually um, hired a customer board, customer advisory board. So we had five customers, uh, some big, uh, some really big customers, actually, and some medium ones that would meet with us uh, as often as we needed to, really, but formally once a month. And we'd walk them through what we were building, and they would give us feedback and refine it until we felt like we had you know, something that was tangible. And so we started building it. And then uh, a couple months later, we hired three beta customers. Uh, we hired one in Hong Kong, one in Modesto, where Lee's at, and another one in uh, Dallas, so we could have them actually using the system and kicking the tires and making sure everything worked. So that was basically the process we went through was just getting getting on the same page of what this industry was and then whiteboarding it out, building the wireframes, running it by customers, and then uh, taking it to a beta. Uh, Lee, anything I missed or anything you want to add? I would that? add to that. Yeah, I, I would add a few things. You know, as you approach any problem, there's the science and there's the art. And the science is pretty easy. Once you can find exactly what you're going to build, bringing the right technologies to exploit uh, the opportunity is is not that difficult. Uh, but the art is very difficult, especially when you figure that when we entered into this, the discovery was there was no one way of doing this. Every company had invented itself, and that <laughs> happened on both sides of the pond. And so really, we, we used the term at the time, uh, and I think it's pretty accurate, we were sculpting fog. And as we would try to bring this into something tangible and then vet that against existing business, existing process, the demand for flexibility was pretty significant because, again, they didn't share a common taxonomy. They didn't share a common business process. Each had their internal metrics for how they managed themselves. So we had to bring this to some common ground, a common platform. So it was really a very intriguing process, uh, and I'd say the art of it was far more difficult than uh, than the construction. Who knew supply chainers are more creative than they are strategic? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, I've always found that when you when you don't give the right tools to somebody, they will invent the way to get their job done. People are creative, people yeah. are smart, uh, but they all find a different way. And so, yeah. so you have all these little cow paths to to the barn. And we've got to bring that into some alignment of control. And uh, it's an interesting, that's why it's the Wild West still. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, it's really interesting to hear in depth how you you came to where you are now and what that process looked like. I mean, at the end of the day, you're right, you know, there this industry is very fragmented. It's still very siloed. It's still the wild west. And when you're looking to create something like a Mercado, um, to bring it into some sort of standardized format that everybody is going to understand is a huge undertaking. And you guys have done that very, very well. So Lee, I want to ask you, because like you said, the creativity and the art of not only the, you know, bringing together the processes to be able to, to come to a solution that everybody can use and everybody can understand, the design and the technology methodology, methodology behind the platform is also very important. And I'm coming to understand that as well as a startup um, because it's got to flow, it's got to be user-friendly, et cetera, et cetera. So what was the methodology behind the platform from a design and technology perspective? Well, the first thing is understand the business, and that really was the big hurdle. Uh, I come from business sector first, technology second, um, and and really needed to understand the supply chain from a buyer perspective. We need to understand it from a from a uh, a supplier's perspective, from a manufacturer's perspective, from a forwarder's perspective. They all have their own view of this of this puzzle. And as we begin to understand that we need to meet the needs of all of them and bring them to a common platform, it was really that picture, understanding the business was the challenge. And then the second challenge is how to communicate, how to, how to speak a common language between these different sectors. And there's the taxonomy problem. But once we gathered that uh, and had a fundamental uh, understanding of the function, 
Then the next becomes a form over function. How do we present this in a way that is intuitive? And there again, every company has their own notion of what a purchase order looks like and how it behaves. Um, so coming to a common platform that had some flexibility, we knew we had to have uh, uh, an architecture allow us to change. We'd have great change going ahead because there would be discoveries go down the road since no one had gone before. So getting the architecture right so that we could change, so we could pivot, so we could adjust was big. But the process was really one of crafting the user experience and vetting that both first internally through Rob and team and then secondly through our board of advisors and following through the street. Uh, it's really vetting that experience that uh, drives this creation process. And I'd say even now with as broad as Mercado is, we're way down the road on vetting the next experience, the next experience, and where the future goes with this to get that feedback from the street before we go to construction. We have an old mantra that says, last to, last to code, first to finish. So we stay out of the code as long as we can and really try to understand the visualizations and the user experience before we ever go to the actual construction behind it. I like that. I like that a lot because too often you hear about companies, you know, building a platform um, with all the bells and whistles that they think people are going to want to use, and then nobody actually wants to use the bells and whistles. <laughs> so I think that you know your approach is refreshing, and um, I think that it is really, I mean, essentially the right way to to do this. I mean, you need the customer's input, and you need to make sure that this is going to be a platform that they're going to use, not only from their perspective for investing their time and their money, but also for the company, as well as your board of directors and your investors, and all the way down the line. So I think that's hugely important, and I'm glad that you were able to share some of that with us. So Rob, you know, we hear about, or I don't know about you, but I hear about supply chain tech coming up Every single day yeah. um, in different rhymes or reasons, different parts of the industry. And yet they're all saying that they're disrupting the industry. But I want to ask you, are they really like, why do you feel the supply chain hasn't been disrupted by technology yet? Well, I, I'll speak to the international supply chain, uh, sir, because that's my background. I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the domestic supply chain or e-commerce or, or all of the things that have been have been disrupted on that side. But for the international supply chain, when you when you look at the complexity of that supply chain, um, it's daunting. And in my experience, having traveled through this planet for a long time, I've met very few people who have really experienced all of the facets of it, from the purchase order to the factories making the products, to the regulatory in China, the regulatory in the U.S., regulatory in Thailand, wherever it is. We have a lot of experts. And, and because of that hero aspect you guys were talking about, we've got people who really, really, really know their craft, but fairly narrowly. And so I think it was really hard uh, to coalesce around it with all the issues we talked about. There wasn't a common taxonomy. And sometimes when we talked to supply chain professionals, we weren't communicating well to the executives because we were speaking supply chain and they were speaking English. And then secondarily, there's a lot of different components of it uh, that, that hadn't been aggregated. And so it was complicated to even understand one piece of it, let alone the whole. And so I, I think it was just a, a kind of a, a combination of things that made it um, difficult to disrupt. And what I'm seeing now, sir, to answer your question more specifically, is that some of the supply chain tech that's being built is being built to solve a specific piece of the problem. So it might be from this point to this point, and that's needed. And then eventually we've got to look for a way to roll, that, roll all that up and uh, aggregate the whole. So I think that that is a really important point uh, to make here, Rob, because, you know, customers really want to enhance what they're doing currently, but they're stretched thin that they need something, they need a solution, they need a technology solution that they can easily imp implement in their day to day. And, um, you know, we need to be cognizant of that, we need to be aware of that and not move them five steps forward and have them you know, conform to what we think that it should look like. So I think that that's a really, really big, important uh, point to um, point out there. So I know that we're going through, you know, a new normal here. You know, things are shifting, things are changing. And I think technology is going to be a big part of that. 
So Rob, I want to, I want you to start and let us know, and then we'll get to Lee on this one. How can technology help companies get back on track after everything they've been through the past few years, you know, with tariffs, et cetera, and especially now with coronavirus? Yeah. It, um, so I think you made the point earlier and it was a really good one that I think we knew all these problems already existed, right? We knew it took a long time to get product to market and we knew that it was too manual and we knew that it was confusing. Um, and the sense of urgency was there, but it wasn't uh, sort of mission critical. And then when this pandemic hit, it sort of laid bare all of those things that we already knew, because all of a sudden, on both ends of the equation, we had massive problems, starting with we couldn't get supply because all of the suppliers were shut down. And then culminating in there was no demand. The supply came back online and there was no demand. And so all of those things about how long it takes to get product to market and how manual this business is, so you can't run reports quickly to diagnose your situation or check your inventory, or that your communication flow is basically Excel and email or text. And so there's no way to communicate with all the many people that you need to, to get all those things on track, your customers, your suppliers, your providers. I, I think those really got laid bare in this. And suddenly everyone's in of the same mindset that, this can't happen again. We, we have to make sure that we plug all of those holes uh, for once and for all so that uh, anytime there's a disruption going forward, we have the necessary tools to be able to respond appropriately. So I, I think it's radically changed things. I don't think it'll ever be the same. I don't know how quickly we're going to get to solving it, but I know that people all recognize, I don't talk to anybody who doesn't recognize the need uh, to do business differently than they've done in the past. Absolutely. Lee, did you want to add on to anything that Rob had to say? Well, I think I would echo, first of all, one of the things he said, which is uh, maybe expand on it, that coronavirus did not create a supply chain problem. This problem has always existed. The, the, the current pandemic simply exposed the weakness that has always been there. Now, we, we have had years uh, in the past where we could get away with our inefficiencies and um, and we have really felt for, I would say, the last five or eight years, the narrowing of that tolerance. And it continues to narrow. And if we want to survive as a retailer in the next century, uh, efficiency and control are going to be a requirement just to compete. Absolutely. And I think that those are those are wise words that everybody in supply chain you know, is probably feeling right now, anywhere from, you know, supply chain professionals, supply chain leaders, um, leaders of business in general. So I think that that's, that's, you know, some really great points. And so, you know, supply chain really starts in the first mile, right? It starts with sourcing, it starts with procurement, I think people are really starting to understand and businesses are really starting to understand the importance of what that means, not only to the business, but to their supply chains. And so, Rob, I want to ask you, how can digitization of the first mile be the driving force in supply chain professionals being good and doing good in their businesses? Yeah, uh, so thanks. The, the biggest you know, point I would make maybe in this whole podcast is that uh, what the customers are buying is product. You know, they're not buying a supply chain, they're not buying containers, they're buying product. And it's whatever product that they sell. Uh, so it's globes or footwear or apparel or whatever it is. And needless to say, the faster, better, cheaper they can get that product to market, the faster they can sell it. And they can eliminate a lot of waste and a lot of other problems related to that. So fundamentally, uh, every importer should be thinking about how can I improve my product? And that really begins with the purchase order. When you place that purchase order, that's your highest point of leverage for your product. And so if you just start there, and I can go through a couple examples, but if you just start there, importers don't have any leverage with their purchase order. They take a lot of care to create one. They send it out of the system, but the suppliers can't receive it electronically, so it denigrates to analog. So right there, you've got 90 days of production of your product. It's all made to order. 90 days, that literally is you could almost overstate it and say it's unmanaged. It's slightly managed. It's back and forth via email and Excel. But the fact, uh, to Lee's point, that there's no systemic way, uh, either from a process standpoint or through technology, to manage it um, is a problem. And then if you go to the next step, the next point of leverage is your supplier. 
And so if you're not meaning, meaningfully um, and significantly connected to your supplier, then how can you control your product? And then you go to the next step, which is the people. If you've got 30 people uh, required to get a purchase order from point A to point B, and none of them are connected, uh, <laughs> another massive failure in a point of leverage. And I'll just one more example is we go from there to production so that those goods are made to order. It's complicated to produce a lot of this stuff. If you've ever seen these products being manufactured, on average, it takes 90 days, but some stuff takes up to six months. And so just thinking about the fact that your product is uh, sort of, you're not connected in any way to the production process for that long of a period of time, you could kind of say, hey, what could go wrong? And so if you flip that on its head, um, Sarah, and and what we're trying to do is flip it on its head and say that the reason the first mile is so significant is because you want to get your product to your customers faster, better, cheaper. And the best way to do that is to button up all your points of leverage. So starting with your purchase order, you want to have that digitized and you want to have it connected to every other aspect of your supply chain. And you want to have a digital relationship with your supplier. You want them on a portal so you can understand their capacity and their constraints and their restraints. And you want to be connected to your production line so you can know when manufacturing started and when the product's been inspected and all the necessary things all the way down the supply chain, all the way through the delivery. And, you know, there's six major points of leverage that happen in the first mile before it ever gets on a boat or a plane. And then conversely, you could say that once it gets on a boat or a plane, there's nothing you can do about it. So whatever sins occurred in the first 90 days are going to travel on that boat or the plane to your customer or to your warehouse. And so that's why I, I'm so passionate about this, Sarah, is I think the, the best place to fix a problem is to start at the beginning. And the beginning of the process is the purchase order. And so I like to joke around and use a McDonald's analogy to say, imagine if I went to a McDonald's and ordered a cheeseburger and fry, they put it in their computer, but then turned around and started WeChatting and WhatsApping to the people in the back and saying, Sarah wants four cheeseburgers. And then she come back, do so she want pickles? You can imagine there'd be chaos and they're 15 feet away from each other. These, these manufacturers, uh, it's not hamburgers, it's shoes, but they're 8,000 miles away. So the, the notion of that continuing to be uh, non-digital to me is foreign. I really think we'll look back at this time three to five years ago and shake our heads to say, I can't believe that we used to purchase our products, which is 100% of what we do for a living and represents 100% of our sales. And we didn't have really any ingrained process or systems with which to manage it more effectively. And then back to Lee's point, you know, you've got a hundred million dollars well, with inventory. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And going to your McDonald's point, I mean, just think about the impact on the environment because the, the backup of the drive-through, yeah. if they had to go through all of those <laughs> different broken processes of how many people would be in line in the drive-through running their car yeah. and the environmental impact on that. And, you know, we joke about it, but at the same time, you know, there's also environmental impacts on you know, the, the different technologies and the use of technologies that we're yeah. using and how long it's taking us to get through the process. Yeah. And so that's why I wanted to use that, that example, because it, it really impacts everything. And I, I'm pretty sure with what you just spoke about in the processes that we're seeing today in the first mile, that there's a lot of business owners and business leaders that are having to wipe their brow because they're a little bit stressed out by what you just said, because not only is the process broken and needs to be fixed and can be fixed by technology, um, there's a lot of capital on the table during those yeah. times, right? The 90 days, the six months, the money is just sitting there and you're, you're not doing anything with it. It's not being invested. It's not making you more money until you're able to get that product in your hand. And so that is the real important reason why you need to start at the beginning. And I just love the analogy, the analogies that you, that you talk about because you've been out there, you've spoken to the supply chain community, you've spoken to the professionals, you know what they're thinking, what they need, and uh, you've been able to, to put that into the platform. So let's talk about the future. What does the future look like? What are your future plans for Mercado? Um, global domination to start with. That's our goal. Um, it, it's sort of kidding. You know, we, we have so much opportunity, Sarah, but the, the serious thing about it is we, we're business people. So our first thing is, uh, and you just said it, we want to follow the product and we want to follow the money for our customers. 
And so step one is to get this product into the hands of many so that they can uh, make their products better, faster, cheaper, and sell them more efficiently and eliminate a lot of that waste you talked about. You know, sort of one more analogy with McDonald's is imagine if um, McDonald's, after you ordered your four cheeseburgers, put it in a bag, sealed it shut, and told you you couldn't open it until it got home. So that's also what happens in our right. supply chain. It's called a container, but it's the same concept. So, so we want to expose that. We want to have everybody have visibility to their product um, all the way through from the minute they place the purchase order till it's delivered. We want to build in workflow so that people can do things more efficiently for their product and for their cash flow. And we want to connect that to their customers so that they can provide their customers a better customer experience. So that step one is a big step. There's a lot to do there. Uh, Leah has built us a brilliant platform, and I'm excited about it, um, but much to do. Uh, it, it, my my why, though, a little bit broader than that, uh, Sarah, some of the things you've been mentioning periodically throughout this is the amount of waste. Um, a, as you know from our last podcast, we've been, we've been uh, lucky to do business with a company called Public Habit who exposed that 50 billion garments a year uh, go straight to landfill. And that's partly because of all this efficiency we're talking about. So if, if we had a chance to give something back, that's what it would be is to add a lot more uh, transparency, or as you said earlier, shining bright lights in dark corners so that we could help uh, improve some of those things uh, from a human condition and a planet condition. So that would be our uh, secondary motivation as we build this out. We'll have more opportunity to do that. And then the last ambition we have is we named this company Mercado, uh, which stands for uh, marketplace or market in Spanish, because we also believe that in the future, Companies will do business with other companies cooperatively. You won't have, you know, your own warehouse. Uh, you'll be doing micro fulfillment. You'll be partnering with people. And so we built this as a marketplace so that we can get all the people together on a shared platform so that they can leverage the power of uh, togetherness to create even more efficiencies. It shouldn't be uh, the way it is today where everybody's operating in these non-standard independent siloed supply chains and not leveraging all the efficiency that they could gain uh, by cooperating. So, so ultimately, we'd like to bring the entire supply chain a little bit closer together and create a community there so that people can leverage each other more efficiently and effectively. And uh, what do they call it? Frenemies get a little bit more uh, of that going on. So th that's our three goals is to get the platform out there for efficiency, for product and money. And then help with our why, which is the environment and uh, people. And then lastly, to create a market so that people can uh, come together a lot more easily than they can today. Absolutely. And you know that collaboration is my favorite word. I so do know that. Um, I. <laughs> I can't wait to be part of that when you get to that point. But I really do like the fact that you are focusing on the first mile and you're staying in that space until you can make it right. You can yeah. make it efficient. You can make it you can make an environmental impact through that. And, you know, I think too many times we get pulled in different directions and I love that you guys are focused. So as we come to the end of this interview, I just want to know, I always like to get takeaways from our guests. What should our listeners take away with them? Um, and what, what can we leave the listeners with? Lee, I'm going to start with you. Well, I don't know. My comment might be a little more of a call the quality of life than specifically a statement about supply chain. And maybe it's, more of a personal philosophy than you're looking for. But I'd say if the workload you're managing brings stresses that prohibit you from loving the people you work with, then fix it. Uh, life is good. Work is a privilege. People around us are special. And whether it's Mercado or something else, get control of your environment so you can look forward to being at work every day and proud of what you build. Amazing. Amazing. Rob? <laughs> You got to quit having me follow Lee, Sarah. <laughs> not, not nearly so eloquent. I, what, what, you know, when I look at this thing, um, I, I, I happen to be, and I use this analogy not because I'm the Uber of anything, but I love, I love this analogy of Uber. I used to live in uh, outside of New York. I lived in Summit, New Jersey, and so I was a very, very, very frequent uh, user of taxi cabs. And when Uber came in, it sort of changed my whole paradigm of how you should be transported from one point to another. And so I, I think about the fact that it used to be normal for me to stand in the middle of a busy intersection and try to hail down a car coming at me at 40 miles an hour. And then also not knowing if the driver knew how to get me there. I mean, just, just think about how all of those things were commonplace. And we all took taxis and we all thought that's the way uh, it was. 
Uber came along and said, I'm going to fix all those things. I'm going to let you know who your driver is ahead of time. I'm going to let you know how far away they are. I'm going to let you know how much it's going to cost you to get to the point. And I'm going to make sure the driver knows where he's going because he's got a GPS. So all of those things that were wrong about one industry, Uber took some care to think about those things and build the solutions for them and, and make for a much more um, pleasant, safe uh, experience all the way around. And so I think about this business the same way. I think that it is what it is. And you ask the question about why it hasn't been disrupted. It's been this way for a long time, just like taxis were. And I think people got used to it. But I really believe that as uh, the work that you're doing, Sarah, and others uh, to get the word out there, that there is now the opportunity for change. Three to five years from now, people will look back at this like they looked at like they look at taxis now, because it's going to be much more like an Uber where you're going to know who your driver is. You're going to know what time they're going to arrive. You know what time you're going to get there. You know how much it's going to cost. And all that stuff will be you know, on your phone, just like it is with Uber. You'll push a button and the rest of it will, will go. So that's, that's sort of how I see things. Um, and that's sort of my takeaway is that we're just at the beginning stages of disrupting a very, very antiquated business. But everybody will be really happy when we do. Absolutely. So many great takeaways from, you know, business and supply chain and just being a, a professional in any industry. So the world has changed and so we need to change as well. By focusing on how we can be good and do good, we can ease into that change one step at a time. First Mile and the beginning of the supply chain is a great place to start. So give Mercado a call to find out more about how they can help. For more information about Mercado, this episode, Lee or Rob, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 122 or mercadolabs.com. Make sure to connect with them on LinkedIn. Rob is always sharing some great insights into what he has learned in supply chain every week. Thank you to Kaylee, Rob, Lee, and the team at Mercado for bringing us together on this very important topic. Thank you. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, be sure to check out podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. We have categorized the episodes so you can find the ones that you want to listen to fast and easily. Next week, it is the start of a new month and we have a woman in supply chain feature just for you. We are featuring Melody of Alloy. Don't miss it as Melody shares with us her passion, her supply chain journey, and what it means to be a supply chain professional and thought leader. That's coming up next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter on letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel, the SC Supply Chain TV, because we are coming up with new videos each and every week, not only from me, but also from thought leaders in the industry. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. We are in full beta. And if you are a forwarder or a mid-market shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide, and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. Next, go to shop on letstalksupplychain.com. We've got a lot of great merchandise over there for the supply chain professional in, in your life or just for you. Plus, we've got a 107-page supply chain dictionary full of acronyms and definitions you will need to help succeed in your supply chain career. So go and check that out. Last but not least, rate and review the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and I will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.